You're listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. Hosted by Rev Yearwood, Mustafa Santiago Ali, and me, Antonique Smith. Each week, we host important conversations with innovators, policymakers, cultural influencers, and movement leaders who are leading the way to a 100% clean energy and just world. Welcome to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. I am Rev Yearwood, President and CEO of the Hip Hop Caucus. And somewhere out there is Antonique Smith in LA. Hey, hey, I'm here. Now, I don't know now, what that happened. Now, Antonique, <laughs> now, I know the wildfires somewhat are contained, so you can't be there for any kind of excuse to be late to the show this Hilarious. week. Hilarious. <laughs> I wasn't late. I've been trying to call in. I don't know what's going on, but I'm here. And I'm Antonique Smith. Grammy-nominated singer, actress, and activist, a.k.a. your favorite artivist. All right, and I'm Mustafa Santiago Ali, Senior Vice President of the Hip Hop Caucus. Welcome to our radio show and podcast that delivers real talk on climate change and environmental justice. No sides, just the facts. We want to thank everyone around the country and even the world now who is listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. And we definitely want to thank... WPFW for hosting us here in the studio and a big thank you for all our listeners who tune in each week and support us. We love you all. Yeah, and you can check out our show's blog at think100.info and be sure to follow us also on Twitter and Instagram at think100show. That's right. So, you know, we have three amazing... I'm I'm excited for this show today. I know, that's right. We have three... Yes, Antonique. See, I think she wants to get into the mix now. She wants to, Cali time. She wants to Cali time. Oh, y'all oh, ain't man. right. You know, we have three amazing champions um, for the environment and climate on the show today. And they are going to share some critical information on the upcoming actions to protect our children and communities from the impacts of water pollution and the direct connections to climate change and how we can win together. And this is such an important thing for me because we all talk about clean air and clean water. And this why this conversation we're going to have, if you're sitting by wherever you are, you need to get your pen and paper mm-hmm. and tune in for this important conversation. But before we dive into our first segment, let's get started with our co-host, Antonique, who is going mm-hmm. to share what is happening in our movement. Antonique. Where are you in the world this week, actually, before I assume you are in L.A., and what do you have for us? Well, actually, I'm in New Jersey. Um, oh, and the I, bricks. I, yes, it's, yes. No, it's not, it's not as bad as it was. It was in the, in the 20s, early, like low 20s last week. So it's, it's 40 now, so uh, I guess that's warm. But, um, <laughs> you know, a little extended uh, Thanksgiving uh, time with the family. But I'm so excited to be on with you guys today. And it has been crazy stuff going on. Mm. Um, so... We have to start with the human rights violations that are happening on the border. And listen to this, its connection to climate change. That is something nobody is talking about, Mm. what's happening on the border and its connection to climate change. Our immigration system is broken and it lacks equity and justice. And it's it's just, you know, crazy what's going on. The prospect that thousands of Central Americans might have to stay for weeks or months 
before they can apply for asylum in Mexican border states where drug cartel violence is prevalent has raised concerns about undermining their lawful right to apply for asylum. It's crazy. Well, Hmm. it's crazy. So on Sunday, Border Patrol agents fired tear gas at migrants seeking asylum. And in the process, they tear gas children. We've all seen the footage at this point on the news. And to see them tear gassing families and children. And, of course, uh, Trump had a, a, an excuse for that. It was like those weren't those people's children. It was just some weird statement that still was like, it's, like, it's, not, it's still not right. So I don't care what, what, what you're saying. But that's just completely wrong. Um, most don't realize that the migrant asylum seekers are leaving their respective countries in hopes of building a better future for themselves and their families and escaping the impact of climate change. Wow. Mm-hmm. That, 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 right, that, exactly. That's important. That's important. Nobody's talking about that. That's why, but that's why they need us. You know, that's why we, we, that's why we are here. We are going to explain what the what the connection is between what's going on down there and climate change. Here are a few facts about the, the impacts and why the migrants have been fleeing their country. This summer, a drought in Central America's dry corridor, a swath, a swath of historically arid land that runs through Honduras, Guatemala, Nicaragua, and El Salvador, decimated 80% of the region's bean crops. Wow. Mm-hmm. 80%? 80%. Wow. I mean, By August, I, mean, I know. Right. These are people's livelihoods. Like, mm-hmm. we're not just talking about, you know, food, like the extra food or, you know, a little side of beans that we have on our plate. These, this is literally something that people make their living off of growing. What were you going to say, Ray? No, 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 no. I, I was just, I mean, I'm just, I'm just amazed because I, mean, I don't think you understand that this is very similar to what we're seeing around the globe. We, we see it, we saw it in, in Syria, um, mm-hmm. and, we, we, you know, we saw it in... Ethiopia. In Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw it in Arab Rising. Um, so I think that we are now, you know, as you're talking, I'm listening to Antonique about, I mean, you know, I don't think you understand about that whole corridor um, that dry corridor, and I don't think I understand that what you're seeing is climate refugees in essence, right. in some cases. And yep. you know, this is, and, and I, I, I'll stop there because I mean, go go ahead, Nick. I, 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 I know. I, it's, I, mean, unfortunately, I, I, hear, I have so much more. Yeah, yeah. No, it's no, no. So I, I want to hear also what what Honduras and other countries were doing during this time frame. Yeah, so it, 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 it's, I have so much more really sad information. So by August, Honduras had declared a state of emergency. Mm-hmm. By September, what would have been time to harvest and store the crops became yet another exodus following a long line of migrants who have left Honduras in recent years. Individuals and families made plans via Facebook and then, and then via the news and word of mouth to travel together towards the United States in search of a better life. In Honduras, 65% of people live in poverty. 65% of people live in poverty. And 14% of the economy is reliant upon agriculture. And yet agriculture in Honduras is risky livelihood. This is the second major drought in the country that they've experienced in two years. It's the second major drought that they've experienced in two years. And the average temperature in Honduras has already increased over one degree Fahrenheit in the last decade. Rainfall in Honduras is set to drop by 10% by the year 2050. 
Did you, did you guys hear that? Yeah, it's bananas. In the drought, floods, landslides, and tropical storms will have devastated residents of the northern triangle, and the devastate and that the devastated residents of the northern triangle will increase too. And for those who cannot live without their coffee. I know there's so many people. You see the memes all day long mm-hmm. on Instagram talking about people can't start their day without their coffee. Check this out. You about to make Starbucks mad? I know. <laughs> Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, all of them. Listen to this, you guys. Climate change is not only impacting sustenance farming and food supplies, but also one of the Northern Triangle's key cash crops: coffee. Coffee is one of the few reliably profitable exports in Central America, and harvest declined dramatically during the recent drought. According to Coffee and Climate, a climate change adaptation project funded by the coffee industry, worldwide coffee production is is projected to drop by at least 40% by the year 2050. 40%. 40%. Worldwide coffee, not even just down there where we were initially talking about. Mm-hmm. Worldwide coffee production is projected to drop by at least 40%, by at least 40% by the year 2050. And these are just a few of the facts of what's going on. And, guys, this is crazy. Man, Antonique, you know, every week I'm looking forward. I'm, I'm going to have a week when in the move is going to be some good news. I know. Please, I mean, let it be next week. Oh my god! I mean, you done took my coffee away, Anthony. I know. I'm you know sorry. what I mean? Got me feeling bad. So you know, mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, I, I, listen. On that note, Mustafa, yes, share with. I know you got some. I know it's in the movement. He got more bad news, right? No, see, listen. No, don't, 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 don't preempt. He may have something oh, here. God. I, I actually, okay. I, I heard, I heard, listen, I actually was, he'll explain, I heard that the Trump administration released a report on climate. So, I think I was shopping when it happened. So, I think, I, and so maybe, Mustafa, if you can give us a little background on that national uh, climate assessment report, which mm-hmm. was released while I was shopping during Black Friday. That's right. Let me know what that. Let me know what this is. And isn't that amazing that the national climate assessment report would actually be released on a day when they're assuming that the media wouldn't pay attention, that yeah. we would all be focused on, you know, the holiday season for those who celebrate, um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, just try and keep things um, um, hidden. So the national climate assessment is a federally mandated report. Um, 13 federal agencies that are led by Trump appointees uh, play a role in this. And literally hundreds and hundreds of the world's top scientists all come together, pull this information together. And it builds upon the IPCC report um, and many of the other reports that have been out there. Now, this one is specifically focused on the America. And it actually shares some some challenging news depending on how we look at it. So we have the ability to do the right things and the things that I'm going to talk about, then we can minimize those impacts. Uh, We can actually build our economy or we can continue uh, the way that our current uh, administration is trying to take us and we will have to deal with um, very devastating sets of impacts. So for most folks, you should realize, and the report shares with us that, you know, that the planet is warming up faster than any other time in human history. The planet is warming up faster than any other time in human history. So that in itself should move the administration to begin to create strong climate policy so that we can address these issues and we can minimize the impacts that are coming. 
One of the other highlights for those who don't necessarily care much about public health and people's lives is that we will end up spending hundreds of billions of dollars in relationship to climate impacts if we do not act. Now, Mm. you can flip that coin, and if we do act, then that means that we can move that in a different direction. We can make sure that as we move away from fossil fuels that we are creating jobs in the renewable energy sector. We can make sure that equity is a part of that process so that those communities who have often been forgotten now have an opportunity to participate in this thing that we call the American dream. Now, the flip side of the coin is is that we do not act. And you all have heard us talk on this show many times about the lives that are being lost from air pollution. We will lose thousands and thousands and thousands of additional lives each year if we do not act. We also know that the storms that folks have seen that really have helped to move many people uh, to a better understanding that, yes, climate change is real. And, yes, we need to do something because many people who didn't see themselves connected now see the hurricanes. They see the floods. They see the droughts, and they also see these extreme heat events. If we don't do anything, these 100-degree days will happen with much greater frequency. And unfortunately, those who are our most vulnerable communities, young people, our seniors, many of them will have a difficult time and may lose their lives. And for those of you who follow us as we have these conversations about air pollution, it will become much more deadly. For those who have asthma, and you know there are 25 million people in our country who have asthma, 7 million children, those numbers will explode. For those of you who are worried about the critters, those vectors, uh, mosquitoes, uh, and others Mm -hmm. will begin to carry many of the diseases that we now are seeing enter into the United States that were traditionally in tropical uh, climates. You'll see more things like Zika. You'll see more things like West Nile, um, maybe even dengue. Um, So uh, many of these things that we should be very concerned with if we don't address these issues and the National Climate Assessment Report, you know, lays many of these things out for us, then we are doing ourselves a disservice and we are doing future generations a disservice. Mustafa. Yes. You know, we have a lot of young people who listen to this show. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, as you leaped into that and they are probably wondering and they're probably sitting here. Mustafa, let's go back to the beginning of this. Yep. This report was released by the Trump administration, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how many agencies did you say were involved in that process? 13 federal agencies. And how many scientists? Oh, literally hundreds and hundreds. I would say thousands, uh, you know, at least a thousand. But we'll stay on the conservative side so that our climate deniers don't have anything to hold on to. So let's get to that point. So a lot of young people are just truly confused because they have seen the IPCC report. They've heard about this report that was released by this administration, and they're wondering, so this must be it, right? Then this, then the president must finally be saying, we're going to be putting out, we're going to be back into the, the Paris Accord. We're going to be getting uh, ourselves to make sure we have clean water, clean air. So this must be it. So they're listening. You would think so. No, I, and, I, and I want Mustafa. So is that the case? Well, the president, unfortunately, came out uh, yesterday, or I believe it was yesterday, and he said that he did not believe uh, what was stated inside the report. One, he doesn't believe uh, that the impact. He did say it. So hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. So his Mustafa, so you're saying like, let me, let me just explain this. So that you're saying if I, if I, when I was in college, yep, and I actually did a report for college, yes, I worked in a report. I, I got all, I got all my um, information. Uh, information. I got all my, my uh, everything I need to have for my report. Right. Mm-hmm. I put the report together. 
And I actually went out and got some scientists and some other folks to help me with the report. Mm -hmm. I put together. I turned it in. Actually, the top scientists. I got the top scientists to help me with the report. Mm -hmm. I turned the report in, Mm -hmm. got an A on the report, and then when I got a report back, I said, I didn't write it. Mm -hmm. Or I I didn't do it. Or I don't believe it. So you're trying to tell me the report that I actually wrote, I don't believe the real report. (laughs) (laughs) It it is crazy. And and here's why it's crazy. And and I know we're going to move on to our next segment. It's crazy because... Many of the top folks who are surrounding the president, who he says that he cares about and that he respects, know that climate change is real. The military knows that climate change is real. So if you care about the military, then you have to care about climate change because they have to do long term planning. They have to make sure that where bases are going to be put, they'll be able to be there in a decade. They need to make sure also in the movement uh, of troops that, you know, climate is being considered into that mix. The president also says that he cares about farmers. The report also talks about great crop loss that will happen. And in that instance, many of the farmers will then be put um, into foreclosure, into bankruptcy. So if you care about farmers, then you have to care about climate change. If you say that you care about the economy, which he says almost every day he talks about the economy. If you know that you are literally going to lose hundreds of billions of dollars, that money has to come from someplace and it's going to come from taxpayers. It's going to impact also our health care system. So if you care about health care, if you care about the economy, you have to care about climate change. There's no way of getting around it. So, Rev, if you would have got an A, whoever your teacher is that then said that what was turned in wasn't real would lose their job. No, I, actually, I said it wasn't real. I, I'm the one who actually turned it in and then say no. It's, then you should lose your job. I should, I should lose <laughs> my job. I should, I should definitely lose my job. Mustafa, let me, let me pivot here. Yes, sir. Um because I think we sometimes on this show, you are listening to Think 1%, the coolest show on climate change. And sometimes we have to use a little bit of humor um, to try to get through this. We, we we talked about last week or a few weeks ago, the IPCC report mm-hmm. that talked about how we have 12 years to get things right. We have been talking about the, the, the Green New Deal, about mm-hmm. what we can do to have equity and how we can fight poverty and pollution. On this show, stay tuned. We're going to talk about water and dirty water and, and all the things affected around water because that's such an important – without it, there there is no existence. And we're going to have a real deep conversation about that. But let me just get to this. Um, I want to take a moment um, because this was the holiday season. And I think that this show, the reality is, as we've known for many young people, is that they will tell us that their parents fought for equality in the 20th century, but they are now fighting for existence. And the reality is, is that as we talk about these things and we kind of somewhat do a little bit of humor around this president kind of waffling and literally saying, I don't believe my own report. The reality is that in California, there are hundreds of people who are still missing and those who have lost their lives. And there are so many of those who are still grieving this holiday season because of that loss. Mm -hmm. There are still so many who are still literally can't go home to Puerto Rico and are still hurting. There's still, we we talked about women and children literally running from one part of the world to try to get to another part of the world so they can have a better existence. And we ourselves have seen so many different things. Here, Hip Hop Caucus, our dear friend, this organization was formed um, in partnership in the very, very beginning with, with P. Diddy. 
um, at the in the beginning when we did Citizen Change um, and Vote or Die, and we we saw his one of his dear his partner Kim Porter, who was a dear friend. Yeah. I never I never forget when I first actually went up to Bad Boy many years ago, and I it wasn't that when I saw Diddy, but when I saw saw Kim Porter in the office when I thought I had I had made it. Um, and then I got to say, even personally, um, as many of you know, because the the story regarding those who are seeking asylum and immigrants, I am the first person in my family to be born in this country and served this country. Most of I was an, yes, I was an officer in the Air Force mm-hmm. and served this country. Um, but I'm the first person. My, my whole family um, is predominantly from either the Caribbean or mostly from Trinidad and Tobago. And so this yesterday, actually, my uncle, Dr. Rupert Grifford, who was the Speaker of the House, who actually, if you don't know, Trinidad was, was, was a country that has fossil fuels. And because of his, his, his nephew talking about these things, he actually began to talk about how we can transition mm. from fossil fuels to clean energy in Trinidad. And he passed away over the weekend. So we've lost so many loved ones. So I just wanted to mm. thank everybody out there who's fighting this battle. I, I, we hear you, we see you. Uh, if you have lost a loved one because of a climate disaster, um, I, I see your tears. I feel your pain. I know this seems like madness that's going on with this administration, but I know that we will make it. And so I actually want to take a note here. Just, if you haven't heard, Antonique is also our People's Climate Music Ambassador. She has some men. She's become like the, the songstress, as Bill McKibben said, for the climate movement. If I can take this moment to break now to actually play um, Anthony Smith, Mercy, Mercy Me.
Welcome back to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. So, Mustafa, we have some guests in the studio. Yeah, Rev, we are super blessed. We have Samantha Lockhart, who's the National Field Director for Clean Water for All Coalitions. Samantha, thank you so much. You've been doing incredible work. We also have Jan Goldman-Carter, National Co-Chair of the Clean Water for All Coalition. And we have Rosemary Ndebakre. Uh, I wanted to say that name so well. <laughs> Campaign Director for Clean Water for All <laughs> Coalition. So we got the trifecta for y'all folks. And we're just going to jump right into it because we know our lines are lighting up. And we know folks are really interested in many of the things that you are focusing on to help to make sure that we have clean water for everyone. Um, so, Samantha, let's start off with you and ask, can you just share a little bit with our listeners about who and what the Clean Water for All Coalition is? Sure. So the Clean Water for All Coalition is a diverse national coalition focused on uh, federal clean water policy issues. So we're focused both on defending existing uh, federal clean water protections and also fighting for stronger clean water protections. Um, We've been under a lot of attacks lately in the last particular particularly the last couple of years, <laughs> um, on our, our bedrock clean water uh, laws and regulations. So we've been fighting really hard with partners across the country to defend those. That's excellent. I know a little bit about being under attack. When I walk by the White House, it starts shaking. So I know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Rev, um, you know, we had a, you want to ask that other question we had with them? Well, well, actually, so Antonique, uh, are you there? I'm here. Do you have a question you want to ask? I'm I make sure you, make sure you get that in. Oh, thank you, Rev. I appreciate that. Dan, I want to ask you a question. What should communities be doing to push back on these water rollbacks, and how can they add their voices to these many fights we see looming? Speaking of fights. There you go. <laughs> Um, Okay, so like I said, we really focus at the national level with the federal laws. So pushing back there means pushing back via your member of Congress, um, Uh if you happen to be lucky enough to have one. (laughs) We here in D.C. don't don't right now. But but anyway, you know, communicating with your member of Congress, also with your state, the state, you know, at the state level, too, a lot of these clean water protections, even though they're mandated at the federal level, you know, the rubber really hits the road at the state and really down at the local level. And, you know, another thing that people don't talk about a lot, but when it comes to water, you know, we all just sort of take it for granted that you turn the tap and Mm -hmm. the water comes out and it's clean and it's healthy and it's going to be okay. But more and more, I think, you know, climate change and every other reason, we can't really take that for granted. And some Mm -hmm. of that comes down to your member of Congress or your local city council, uh, your state, but also your water supply. So, you know, getting to know just, you know, going online or however you need to do it and figure out where your water comes from. Here, it's it's D.C. water, the District of Columbia, and a lot of that water comes right out of the river, out of the Potomac River. And actually holding accountable, you know, asking questions, asking questions uh-huh. of your of your mayor, of your city council, of your state department of environmental protection or water quality, and just holding them accountable uh, with, you know, the quality of the water. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Yeah. Hey, Rosemary, you know, the, the Trump administration has been proposing to, uh, you know, sort of replace the Obama era clean water rule. I know you know something about that when you were there at EPA. <laughs> Um, And I know you guys are now calling it the dirty water rule. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're anticipating and 
what will happen with the rule and do you think it will be helpful for or harmful to communities? What's happening currently with the Trump administration, like Sam said, you know, our water is under attack and people need to know it. The Trump administration has been rolling back a lot of water regulations. And so one of the things that we're anticipating is the dirty water rule from them. Um, and the Trump administration, unfortunately, is not thinking about the health of communities, especially low income and vulnerable mm-hmm. communities. Mm-hmm. They're thinking about the polluters, the corporate polluters. They're in the pockets of corporate polluters. And so they're allowing um, these polluters to have free reign um, to dump endless amounts of, of pollution into our water. And that's essentially what we're expecting from this this rule that's going to come out. You know, one of the things that I often talk about and say is if you think about Think back about when the Cuyahoga River was catching on fire. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy when you think about water actually mm-hmm. catching on fire. We do a little bit of work in Pennsylvania, um, and you think about the Schuylkill River, and that was another river that was catching on fire. So back, you know, years ago, rivers were catching on fire, and and because of the work that you know groups like Hip Hop Caucus and so many others are doing in order to make sure that we have strong protections on a lot of the waterways across the country. This administration is going to take us back to to burning water, Mm. burning rivers. And so, Uh you know, it's important for us to know what's happening with our water and and what's coming out of this administration. I'm going to turn to Jan here because she is a water policy expert. Me, I consider myself an organizer. Uh, I'm a person (laughs) who tries to translate what Jan's saying to people who who aren't in D.C. and who are in communities. And so I'm going to turn it over to Jan to talk a little bit high level about the policy pieces Mm -hmm. so people have a a baseline understanding of what this dirty water rule is. Mm -hmm. And I will try to make speak in English. (laughs) Um, So uh, just building off of what Rosemary said, you know, when the Cuyahoga River was catching on fire, which was late 60s, early 70s, you know, 19, the Clean Water Act was passed as a federal law in response to that, to to those fires on the rivers. uh, And it passed in 1972. So, you know, when you think about that um, up in, in Lake Erie, I think, uh, mm-hmm. near Cleveland, you know, the, the water wasn't catching on fire just because of what was being dumped into the big old lake. It was it, – it, rec- Congress recognized that what, what was at issue here was what was coming in from upstream. So that's just a basic principle that Congress understood when it passed the act and that we all have to just keep reminding ourselves of is that, you know, water flows downhill and it flows from all these tiny little creeks and wetlands and ponds and springs and um and and if you dump oil if you have a big fracking operation or an oil uh gas pipeline that's crisscrossing these little tiny streams and you get an oil spill or you get a chemical spill like in Charleston West Virginia mm-hmm. or you get a ton of fertilizer pollution creating algal blooms uh like uh has happened up near Toledo that all flows downhill, and it flows downhill to these drinking water intakes, and it makes it very difficult to keep the clean water uh, clean for purposes of drinking. And then just imagine for purposes of fish, for example, or boating or fishing, things that we all really have enjoyed doing as long as we've got the water that's clean enough to do it. So really that's what's at the heart of this dirty water rule is you're talking about which waters are subject to the Clean Water Act. Which waters can you not dump junk into? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so everybody understands, of course, you can't dump junk into the big rivers that float 
boats. But what uh, what the Clean Water Act has always done is it has also sa- always said you can't dump water into the tiny little creeks either because that is going to end up sending pollution downstream and hurting everybody. Uh, so what the Trump administration is poised to do is come out with a rule that will say, well, you know, those little tiny streams, they don't really matter. They only run water, you know, three months out of the year. We don't really care about those. We'll kind of we'll let the oil and gas industry have those and mm-hmm. we'll, you know, we'll just focus downstream. Um, that's what we're worried in that, about happening. That's what we expect to have happening. So we'll be calling on Hip Hop Caucus and everybody else to be yelling and screaming in opposition to that rule. Well, we'll be right there with you uh-huh. um, 100%. Samantha, Jan, and Rosemary, I, I have a question across, I guess, just to make sure that our, our listeners who are listening and you're listening to these good folks who are part of the Clean Water for All coalition and they're here talking about literally the dirty water rule my question takes it one step back as you heard we we had a segment earlier that's kind of grieving for the losses of those who who lost their lives and easily on that list and still on that list will be those who be in flint michigan Mm -hmm. right and many people who are listening to this show are horrified um of the possibility and so I think it's important to understand. My question really is, did the Obama-era clean water rule cover that? And now with the dirty water rule, will that, will that make, that, make the situations worse? We have more flints around the country. So I think maybe you want people want to hear about that because I think that's something there where children got the rashes and mothers had stillborn babies. And that was, that, that was horrific. And to be to be clear, let's be clear, that didn't start with the Trump administration. I mean, that's one thing about this show here. It's not about Republican or Democrats, it's about humanity. Mm-hmm. And so we're not here picking sides, we're picking people. And so I just want to hear about how the, the Flint water crisis kind of plays into what you're trying to do here with, with the coalition and also exposing this dirty water rule. Well, I'll take a quick shot, but I'm going to turn it over to my organizers who are better at this than I am. So, you know, what happened in Flint is very complicated chemical processes that did involve surface water and that, you know, would have been helped if in the ideal world the sources of water, which is what the Clean Water Act deals with, Hmm. you know, were clean and, and didn't have as much junk in them as they did. But really... What was at the core of the problem in Flint and in a lot of places around the country really relates to the pipes. Mm-hmm. And it, it relates to what happens to that water once it flows from the river through the pipes and how it's treated and the extent to which we can get rid of these lead pipes. So it's an indirect connection to what we're talking about with the dirty water rule. But that said, I feel like, and I'm going to turn it to you guys, but from an organizing perspective, it's it's all about organizing and engaging and holding elected leaders accountable for the quality of the drinking water. And, you know, I think we all live everything we do. You know, I, I know I have echoes of some of those public hearings of the, the Flint the mm-hmm. office with them taking the plastic mm-hmm. bottles and cranking them. And mm-hmm. we, you know, folks came into town and we were part of that. And, um, you know, that those voices were heard. Because in this election, we don't do election work, but we'll talk about the blue wave. But I know listening to all those women who won in Michigan, Mm -hmm. Flint was on their 
Yeah. I was among the words they said yeah. post-election. So it's mm-hmm. it's important to just speak up, pay attention, hold your elected leaders accountable. Mm-hmm. I would second that. I was actually at the Environmental Protection Agency when Flint happened. And, you know, going to Flint, it was a scary time. Wow. Um, I was shocked that this was happening in the United States. Mm. And it was a time, you know, during that time, I didn't do a whole lot of work on water. I was working mostly on climate change and the clean power plan, um, which we all know the Trump administration rolled that back, but we won't get into that. Next show. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But when I was at the EPA and and seeing what all the things that were happening in Flint, it was just astonishing. Um, But what people don't know is that Flint isn't a distant threat for many communities across the country. Mm -hmm. I always say the thing that's trending on Twitter is Flint still doesn't have clean water. Well, neither does Baltimore, mm-hmm. neither does uh, my home, Newark, mm-hmm. my hometown, Newark, yeah, my yeah. hometown, Jackson, Mississippi, who, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of water infrastructure issues there. Um, the infrastructure in this country is aging. A lot of the pipes that have been laid are pre-war pipes. And so obviously when things get old, they start to break down. The funding is not always there, or sometimes it is there. It just doesn't get placed into the communities who need it the most. So, you know, there there are issues outside of the, the Clean Water Act work and the work that we're doing to protect source waters, but there's also issues around infrastructure, which Mustafa and I did a show on infrastructure and what's happening on that previously. But, you know, that's something that we need to all be paying attention to, and people need to know that Flint isn't just an isolated incident. It's happening across the country, and we need to be aware and be active on by act, asking our elected officials you know, are you paying attention? Are you standing up and taking action on protecting clean water and not rolling back these issues? Um, you know, as Jan alluded to, the the blue wave that happened in my home state right now, Mississippi, there's a, a runoff election that's happening. You know, people are going out in droves um, in order to tell let elected officials know that we're paying attention, we're watching, we're going to organize and, and vote to make sure that you guys have our interest in, mm-hmm. in, in mind. Well, speaking of that, the, you you got the folks on this line. Folks are calling in <laughs> to talk to you, to hear from you, because you got folks fired up here today. So with that, uh, uh, Sierra, who we got here online? I'm curious. I want to know, given the, the many things that affect the black community today, uh, I mean, it could be it could be crime, poverty, and unemployment. How do you, what do you suggest that someone such as myself, who live in this community in Washington, D.C., do, pertaining to the environment, when it seems so, it really isn't secondary, but it seems secondary compared to the pressing issues that are in our face each day. Thank you so much. What's funny is I I did an interview recently about this, and yes, uh, you know, me, I, I, I see all the issues looming in, in our community, um, from the crime to, you know, education, health care, so many things that, that we are faced with. But one of the things that the that we, people don't think about and make the connection to is the environment and how it touches on all those things. You can't go to work and make money if you're sick because you can't breathe or you've ingested, you know, uh, contaminated water. You can't go to school and learn if you are faced with um, lead in your water. We've 
seen how children have, you know, issues when it comes to, to learning because they've been uh, exposed to, to lead in their water or lead paint. One of the things that we're seeing in schools across the country is lead in that in water systems in schools. We work with a group, Environment America, who has a whole campaign around uh, lead in, in, in schools and in, in various systems across the country. And so we need to make those connections. There was a piece that came out on Freddie Gray when mm. in showing how environmental factors played a role in some right. of the issues that you know he was faced with. So we just need to think about how environmental exposures, em- environmental hazards are, and that we're exposed to play a part in the various parts of our lives. Samantha, so you're nodding your head. You want to add anything to that? No, I just I uh, Rosemary said it extremely well. I mean, I think what's great about this show is it helps draw these connections that these are justice issues that cut across everything. So, you know, the, the issues you named, crime and poverty that are facing the community, they're inextricably linked to access to clean water and clean air. I just think, you know, I couldn't say it better than what Rosemary just said. Well, fan, we well, we got them line up to talk to you some more, uh, uh, Sierra. <laughs> Mustafa, you got you want. I see you want to chime in here. Rosemary said it. You know, there, there is a huge connection, um, and also the disinvestment inside of our community. So, folks love to, you know, make our community sacrifice zones. They place all the things that they don't want in other communities inside of our communities. Everything from wastewater mm-hmm. treatment facilities to incinerators to coal-fired mm-hmm. power plants. You name it down the list. We have an opportunity to flip the paradigm. We have the opportunity now to make sure that good, clean, green jobs are inside of our communities, making sure that we are building strong economic platforms to operate from and to create our own jobs. So, you know, these connections in our community, you know, they are literally life and death. Hmm. They are moving from surviving to thriving. And and we have the opportunity now to make sure that our voices are helping to frame this out, something that the old industrial paradigm did not allow us to do. But well, what are some of the upcoming battles on Capitol Hill or in the state houses uh, to protect clean water for all? I, I mean, what are we? I mean, I kind of want to hear what we're doing on. on I mean, on, on to get this fight to make we got to protect clean water for all. What are we doing? Uh, okay, we're doing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have a few big battles coming up over the next couple of months. One is obviously when we talk about. Congress, we're mostly talking about money. That's the big thing they do is give out money. So Mm -hmm. uh, they're working on seven big uh, bills they have to pass by December 7th before the the government will shut down. One of them is a bill we're looking at dealing with the interior and the environment. It has some really bad writers in it. It has some um, cuts to uh, clean water protections. So we're continuing to advocate for that. And and I'll also say, you know, that that'll be one budget fight. We hopefully will win that fight, but this all the cycle starts again in the new year. Every time the Trump administration puts out their budget, it cuts and slashes clean water programs across the country. Um, particularly regional clean water programs. So thinking about your own backyard for listeners. Can you explain that when you, when you say regional clean water for all programs, what does yeah. that mean? Yeah, so there are programs that are specifically meant to address the Great Lakes or the Chesapeake Bay. Those programs were zeroed out by the Trump administration in the last budget. Now, luckily, we fought really hard and we were able to successfully restore funding to make sure we were continuing on the track to restore those habitats and those waterways to keep them clean. But, you know, that fight keeps coming up and will keep coming up over the next couple of years. So we're going to be in the trenches on that. 
The other big thing, and this is sort of on the more positive note. And actually, oh, before ahead. you, before you I, and please get to the positive note. So don't, <laughs> don't, do not lose, I was smoke, don't, don't lose the positive note. But I do need to explain, a lot of young folks and folks around the country, what do you mean when you say in the trenches? Because how do we shape policy? Because we know either we shape policy mm. or policy shapes us. So what do you mean when you say we're going to be in the trenches to make sure that we, we protect our clean water for all? Well, mostly we're just going to keep bugging members of Congress. That's the big thing we do. But I, I'll say more than just bugging them is telling stories. I think uh, very relevant to the last conversation, the most powerful thing that I think Obviously, we have a lot of great experts, Janice, here, and we can bring the facts to bear on what's going on with our watersheds. It's really, really powerful when we can talk about what's happening in local communities and why clean water really matters to people across the country. And lifting up those stories, telling those stories to our members of Congress, making sure that we're paying attention and that we care that this matters directly to people's real lives every day. I think that message has really resonated, and we need to be continuing to tell those stories and lifting them up even more. Yeah, I think along with also um, the success stories of how communities are getting engaged, how they're helping to make the change happen themselves, Mm -hmm. how they are creating their own jobs in these spaces, um, I think is another part of that narrative that you're describing Mm -hmm. to really help folks to understand that, yes, they are connected, and yes, there are very positive things that can come out of these situations. I think the other thing that's really exciting right now is that folks talk about the blue wave, but I talk about the green wave because there are literally hundreds of folks who ran on a platform, as Jan had shared, around the environment, around climate change, but also helping people to understand the economics um, and how we can actually change that, that, that paradigm as well. We want to remind folks also that the lines are open. Call in at 202-588-9739. Uh, 0893-202-588-0893. So make sure you're calling in to engage with our incredible set of guests that we have. Anthony, I know you have a question for Jan. Actually, she she answered my, uh, the question I really wanted to hear about was, uh, you know, the fact that all these positive changes happened on on the, the blue wave on Capitol Hill and what they should be focused on to better protect our water. I think she answered it, right, Jan, to answer that? Um, I I started to. I think I could add a little bit more, kind of just Please. on the train of what what we've already been talking about is. You know, yeah. In addition to the appropriate, it's all about money. Mm-hmm. Um, but but one particular context of money that you're going to keep hearing a lot about on the federal scene is infrastructure. And of course, in this space, what we're talking about. Um, and this goes the connection to the blue wave is is now with a house that's democratic we mm-hmm. have an opportunity mm-hmm. to not just play defense and actually have a a blue house that can help move the ball forward on water infrastructure funding so that means improvements in funding for drinking water infrastructure but also wastewater treatment mm-hmm. And Mustafa talked about jobs, but natural infrastructure, green infrastructure, stormwater infrastructure is all part and parcel of that. We're working with the Blue-Green Alliance on the labor front. Um, There are jobs involved in urban stormwater improvements in sort of – uh, taking advantage of some of those infrastructure dollars to improve green spaces, mm-hmm. um, mm. to reduce urban flooding. So that's um, that's one particular piece to keep an eye on uh, in this upcoming Congress. We actually got a little bit of a victory back in October mm. because Senator Senator Cardin, Senator Duckworth from yeah. 
Illinois, right? Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, a, lo- a lot of voices have already been heard. And again, I think this goes back to Flint and mm-hmm. what people have seen in Flint. And I, I have a feeling the Marylanders realized that they had a problem, too. They better get on top of. So uh, we actually got something called um, America's Water Infrastructure Act, which actually mm-hmm. did move the ball forward on mm-hmm. some of this funding for water infrastructure. Now we'll be talking implementation, but we'll also be talking, as Sam mentioned, another whole round of, of dollars and appropriations decisions. So this is just by way of saying, you know, congressmen are listening. Congressman Fudge from Ohio is very big in working on this water infrastructure stuff. Um, Senator Cardin, Senator Duckworth. Senator um, Harris. Senator Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, so that this is an area where we we can see some real po- potential for positives. Jen, I, I have to ask you this question because I think that this is the these are some things that just baffle me. Is that don't Republicans like clean water? I'm assuming. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm just hold on. I just, I just let me just, again. This is I'm just asking the question. I think it's important. It seems to me as an American, we all should want clean water if you give me a it's a, it was a somewhere a proverb rosemary i read was a dirty glass at the clean glass folks will reach for the the clean glass right and so how is this even a i guess my this, this is my question for you jane and sam everybody really how is this even a partisan issue i think there's have to be something else that would keep us from fighting for clean water like how are we how do we get to the point when we have a dirty water rule how do we get to the point when we're literally discussing okay we're going to have sludge and water and flood creeks and put anything you want to how do we get to that point how how does how is this not the easiest passable legislation we've ever had in american history (laughs) well i'll say a couple positive things and i'll turn to these guys to decide how to respond to that judiciously. <laughs> I might say the wrong thing. Uh, but, but I will say, like, with this infrastructure bill that passed, I mean, it was bipartisan. Yeah. I mean, you had Senator Inhofe, yeah. Senator Boozman, you know, these guys who are Arkansas, Oklahoma. It is a bipartisan issue, and they recognize that these water problems are rural, too. There are a lot of poor rural communities that just can't afford to clean up their water or to have clean drinking water. So it is a bipartisan issue. It polls higher than any other environmental issue. Everybody needs clean water. And, you know, on the sort of Republican end, uh, but also really much more universal than that, you have anglers, you have, you know, anglers and hunters all over the country that really care about clean water. Um so what gets in the way of that, uh, you know, it's got to be politics. It's got to be money. It's probably the same things that get in the way of a, of a fairly rational, intelligent, self, you know, survival climate, <laughs> climate agenda. Yeah. Well, let's do this. Uh, Sam, Jan, Rosemary, any of you can sort of chime in on this. You know, we started off the show talking about some of the impacts from climate change. Can you guys sort of uh, show and, and talk about the connections that exist between the water issues that we are all working on and climate change? Sure. I'll, I'll do my first stab at it, and you guys can fill, fill in my gaps. But I think the main issue is that 
Climate change, we know, is accelerating all kinds of natural resource problems, including clean water. So things like algal blooms and algal outbreaks, which caused a drinking water crisis in Toledo, Ohio, Mm -hmm. were exacerbated by climate change. Warming waters are putting huge, huge pressures on trout and all kinds of natural resources. So the water is already feeling a ton of pressure because of climate change. And then you add in more traditional sources of pollution on top of that. So that is where these kinds of the the Clean Water Act, which is, you know, not designed directly to address climate change. It's more designed to affect some of these more direct pollutants, Mm -hmm. industrial pollution, agricultural pollution. But when you have these existing pressures coming from climate change and you add you know, heightened pollution from industry on top of that um, and really supported now by attacks from Congress sometimes and, and this administration, then you have a real, real problem. And it's accelerating the existing problems that are happening because of climate. And I, th- I think sometimes folks forget that we only have a certain amount of clean, drinkable water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see this big, beautiful blue planet, and sometimes we forget that most of that is, is actually seawater, ocean water, um, full with uh, salinity and, you know, all the various things that there's a huge amount of, um, you know, process that has to happen to be able to even get that to that level. I think that we have, Rev, I think we have a call that maybe uh, will close us out, and we want to see who's on the line. Definitely. Caller? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, let me uh, applaud you and your show for bringing up this topic about climate change. You, you did mention how could we not understand what is happening to us. I think if we get rid of Santa Claus, the good luck about the rabbit losing his foot, bad luck, Cinderella, all of these fantasies that were shoved into my head, now I'm almost 80 years old, when I was a child, if we can get out, step outside of all of those fantasy things, want to go to Disneyland, and all of these silly things I'm still hearing that are being practiced today that even affected me, but I stepped outside that a long time ago. I figured that junk out. Yes, sir. See, we can finally grow up. And we don't want to be grown because, you know, when flowers become grown, they start withering. And we always say that thing that I'm grown. I'm not grown. I'm still growing. Mm-hmm. So that gives my life a chance to accept things. Now, I am a fisherman. I live outside. I enjoy it. I've always enjoyed everything outside. Thank a lot for that. And I think most of us, we just fell victim. We were gopher. Mm-hmm. We just go for anything fantasy. All the young people that I know, some in my family, they know, and can memorize all the football games and everything. And as a matter of fact, football is, that's not the American football. Soccer is football because it's being played by their feet. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're right there with you. Rev, go ahead and take that. No, no, no. I, Carl, I want to thank you. You actually have, have skewed my, my age by being 80, listening to the coolest show on climate change, and thank you for being a fisherman, calling in. And I think I actually want to lead this for you guys. And I know there's other callers, and just sorry, we just ran out of time, but I actually want our, our, our guest to chime in in this last bit. You heard our last caller who said he's 80, been around for a long time, and he basically what he's saying that, man, more folk need to get outside and, and understand the gift of this planet that we have. Mm-hmm. And that's what he said. Thank Allah for that. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to thank y'all just can, in, your, in your last bit and, and listen to maybe Rosemary coming on down here to Sam. Start, actually, on this show, make it personal. Speak to 
those folks who are listening for the first time and just let them understand why we're why you're fighting so hard for clean water yeah so for me it you know i do this work because it is personal uh, I often tell people I do this work because of not because of environmental hazards or environmentalism, but because of equality mm. uh, and making sure that you know there's e- is equal playing field, ha- a level playing field when it comes to uh, protecting communities. African American communities are the, usually the first who are hit and the last to bounce back from environmental degra- degradation, and so making sure that I am communicating with folks folks what's actually happening and why they need to care is essentially why I do this work. Thank you. Jan, Jan. real quickly. Yeah, I mean, I'm a native Floridian and so I, you know, I I was lucky enough to grow up kind of like I'm closer to the last gentleman caller in terms of both <laughs> age and experience. I <laughs> um somewhere in between. Anyway, I I grew up with fishing with you know my grandfather and my my brothers and seeing that that was really part of the community that was something that crossed every economic line every color line it was it was just part of who you were in south florida where i grew up and so seeing that uh seeing the loss of that habitat seeing things like the red tide and the pollution you know that's always had a huge impact for me and that's why i've always been in this line of work mm-hmm. samantha last word uh, I also came to this work because of equity issues, and I'll actually I'll tell a quick story, which is that in 2006 there was something on my college campus called the Youth Energy Summit, and Rev Yearwood came and spoke, and it was extremely inspiring, and is one of the reasons that I came to this work. So it feels very full circle to be here. Oh, <laughs> oh look thank, at that! Thank you so much. And on that note, I give to you, Antonique Smith. Thanks for joining us this week on Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, a hip-hop caucus platform. Let's keep this important dialogue going. Be a part of the conversation by following us on social media at Think100Show and at Hip Hop Caucus. Visit our website at think100.info for blog content, information on upcoming events, or to connect with us. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever podcasts are available so you'll never miss an episode. Rate and review us or simply tell a friend. Climate change impacts all of us. And if we think 100%, we can achieve a 100% sustainable and just world together. Think 100, think 100, think 100.